So let's say that you're at a party. You're talking to somebody, you bring up the idea that you go to church, and then they ask you, are you a Christian? This is a perfect springboard to talk about worldviews. Worldviews are essentially how we see reality, the filter in which we make sense of reality. And everybody has one. And people who aren't religious or spiritual generally think that they don't have a worldview. But in this episode, we'll look at how people actually do have a worldview, even though they think that they don't. So you're asked that question, are you a Christian? And you say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes the best sense of reality for me. What about you? What's, what's your worldview? Often, as I said, they won't really know what to say. And so you'll just say, well, what do you think makes best account for reality? And then you can start to see where their ideas go, where they go wrong, that is. Most people will say, well, I'm not really sure. I suppose we've always been here. And then you can start using apologetics to talk about the law of thermodynamics, how it's impossible that we could have an eternal universe. And then move on to things like morality, about what's right and what's wrong, having that objective basis, and making them eat their worldview. So if they say, well, there is no objective reality, just bring up that hideous example of torturing babies for fun. Is there nothing absolutely objectively wrong with that? And if there is, what is the basis? And it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to ground that sort of belief in anything except for God. But we've all gone too far. So at the start, work out who you're talking to. Is the person a fellow believer? In which case, that's great. Welcome to fellowship. Is it a believer in another faith? In which case, it's great to learn about their religion if you don't know about it. Or hopefully you've done some pre-reading, you know about it, and then you can open up with some genuine questions to try and look into their religion to see the holes which are there. And then if the person is an atheist, just remember they have an absolute burden of proof because they're saying that there is no God. By saying that there is no God, that means that they are knowing that there is another option or any other option except for God. So they must have a reason for that. The only person who may get away with things is an agnostic, but that's where worldview comes into it. Because while an agnostic can say, well, look, I don't believe in any God. I don't know if there's a God. If you believe in God, great, it might be true, but I just don't know. So they think that they have absolutely no burden of proof. But the fact is that they, they do live for things, and that's where we dig into the worldview. So you can ask them, well, what do you think the nature of reality is? If they absolutely evade it, just move into that next question about what is it that they live for and what's the evidence for this? People normally haven't really thought about this sort of thing before. And the typical responses you'll get are things like, well, I live for family. I live to be happy. And then you sort of break down the evidence for each thing that they say. And if someone says that they live to be happy, you can say, well, what about the poor people? What about the people who are suffering? Do they deserve to be happy? And then it's like, well, I live for altruism. Once they get to that sort of very unique objective value, then you can start introducing the moral law. 
And you can say, well, why is it good to help people? Why is it objectively good? And we've already covered before how to deal with these sort of responses, the typical ones. Well, it's because it's the greatest amount of human flourishing. Who defines human flourishing? It's just common sense. Well, what is common sense? Is it universal? Does everybody have it? If you have it and someone else doesn't, what makes them wrong? And essentially, you normally get to a part where they hit a wall. And when you get there, they'll just say, well, look, I don't really have something that proves it. I'm really not that interested in this sort of stuff. It's usually based on something to do with apathy or, or some other response, which is underpinned by the fact that they don't have great responses for anything. And that's the that's tragedy and the problem of living a life without God because absolute meaningless is the only outcome. It's the same thing that Camus and Sartre all said. If you live a life and there is no God, then there is no meaning. So, I mean, it's great to be intellectually consistent and to live that out, but is it really? How can you actually do that? How can you live as if life has no meaning? Deep down, people have a cognitive dissonance beyond this. So once you introduce this sort of concept, it's what the apologist Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason calls putting a stone in someone's shoe. They start to realize that the way that they're living isn't supported by any evidence. And the stupid fundamentalist Christian, his worldview is actually predicated on mountains of evidence. Everything from morality to the nature of reality to the universe and creation all makes absolute sense, both philosophically, in psychological terms, and also it matches the scientific records as well. So when you get to this place, it just, it, number one, it boosts the believer's confidence. But number two, it just puts that stone in the other person's shoe. So I thought I'd mention this because when interacting with atheists, most of us are kind of reluctant to do it, especially face-to-face. So we have to remember to, as I said, be loving throughout this whole dialogue. But also remember that you're not coming from a weak believer's perspective where you're trying to get a place at the dinner table. You're already at the dinner table. You're already there. The other person has got their blindfold on and they're walking around and they think that they perceive reality. So we're doing the same job as a doctor does to their patients. By diagnosing a disease and giving them medicine, we help the person immensely. And the same thing happens. If we see somebody and they don't know the truth and we have the answer to that, then we can open their eyes to the truth and all the wonderful benefits that come from it. So I hope this has been of some use, and I implore you that when you're out at some point in the next few months, if you're really good, make it a few weeks or a few days, try and engage with an atheist in a safe way and just use it as a learning experience. If all of this sounds too confrontational for you, just remember, make sure that you pre-select the person 
make sure the person is quite open, make sure that you've got good rapport already. And if you're too worried about lack of knowledge and these other things, just use questions. They're an absolute goldmine in talking about faith. If you can ask the other person, what is the nature of reality? What is right or wrong? What is morality? Where do we come from? If we ask these deep and existential questions, we bring the other person to the realization that their worldview is actually built on a very weak foundation. And this may be the first time that they've thought about this. And as the Bible says, some of us in agricultural terms are farmers. We sort of plow some of the seed and then some of the harvesters. So you might talk to maybe 10 people a year, 10 people in your life, who knows? And those people may eventually come on to be a believer. And if that's the case, who knows what role that you had? And if you're a believer, you know how amazing that would feel. So I'm going to leave you with that, and I'll speak to you on the next episode.